Hello, new community. This is Christian Anderson. Welcome to our Sunday podcast. This has been a challenging week for me personally, and I'm sure it's been challenging for many of you. And my prayer is that today's service can offer some peace um, and some time of reflection, but also hopefully some hope and encouragement in a time where that can seem difficult to find. New community, I have two announcements for us today. The first one is that we do most of our communication for our community through our in the loop email that goes out each week. So if you have not signed up for that, please go to new-community.com and sign up for in the loop. As we continue to emerge from quarantine, we wanted to give you a quick update on our planned movement through the phases. In regards to meeting together in small groups, New Community will continue to encourage our community to follow the guidelines and recommendations of our community, health leaders, and local government. We are currently in phase two, which says that you can gather with no more than five people outside your household per week wearing masks. In phase three, the staff and elders will share ways in which we will encourage gathering as a community and will continue to keep you informed. We love you, New Community, and never hesitate to reach out with any questions about anything. God, good beyond all that is good, fair beyond all that is fair. In you is calmness, peace, and concord. Heal the dissension that divides us from one another and bring us back to a unity of love bearing some likeness to your divine nature. Through the embrace of love and the bonds of godly affection, make us one in spirit by your peace, which makes all things peaceful. We ask this through the grace, mercy, and tenderness of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. New community, join me for this prayer of lament. This was written by Olive Chan on July 31st, 2017. It was written for a previous time when innocent lives were taken, and I believe it still rings true for the time in which we stand. Olive prays, and we pray with her. With God in the silence, I lament. For the way we fail to see each other, as entire persons, for the destructiveness of generalizations, for the pain of rejection, for lost opportunities for genuine connection, for our ignorance about other people's experiences, for seeing the world as us versus them, for all the times our deepest question of do I belong? is met with no or silence. For the systems in place that perpetuate misunderstanding and violence toward each other. For how blind we are to the glory of Christ in each person. For how dismally short we fall of loving like Jesus. For the sting of being judged based on appearances and for judging others. Amen. 
God, may we be so grounded in our identity of being the beloved that we would always include others because they also are wholly beloved. May we rest on this assurance that we are deeply loved. We offer this lament in the strength of our Father, the grace of Jesus, and the unification of the Spirit. Amen. Good morning, new community. I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. I hope your week is off to a fantastic start. As you know, we have been in this series called Practicing the Presence of God. We are using the quarantine, while we're not in proximity with one another, to dial in the awareness of our proximity to God that we experience on a daily basis. So our goal is to heighten our awareness of the Spirit and the Spirit's ever-present movement in our lives to truly practice the presence of God. Now, this week was intended to be a week where we would pause and reflect on how prayer can be a means of experience in the presence of God, that really our awareness and our intercession can be a means of significant relationship with the Almighty. Now, sometimes when uh, you're preparing to share on a Sunday, You work on a talk for weeks and consider how best to challenge and inform the community of the sacred importance of the text and its call to us in a particular time or in a particular way. And sometimes when you you find that when you arrive on that Sunday, it feels as if the words prepared are the exact words for the moment in which you're set to deliver them. Now, There are other times that you've worked on the talk for a while and then Sunday night hits and you get this aching sense that the Spirit is calling you to move off script, to adjust the game plan, and to offer a different message in the morning. So you spend a good chunk of the late evening uh, staying up late and working uh, feverishly on the talk and you get up early in the morning to wrestle again with the Spirit And then you offer your most humble uh, talk, uh, trying to capture what you sense the Spirit has been suggesting. And while the plan was to consider prayer for this week, the gnawing feeling in my gut uh, that felt somber prompted me not so much to pause the Practicing the Presence of the God series, but actually to discuss it in a different way, to to really encourage us to see and experience and know God. And I want to talk for a moment about the state we find our country in, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. While the pandemic is ever-present in our consciousness, there is a far more evil disease that has been metastasizing in our culture for a long time. Racism is still alive and well in the world. And I do not need to give you any current illustrations to further raise your awareness. 
Now, when I give talks, I usually seek to build the case for a moment about the issue before seeking to offer a suggestion about the solution. I present the gospel problem, if you will, before reminding us of the gospel solution found in the kingdom of God and the ruler of that kingdom, Jesus the Christ. But I do not need to give you any current illustrations. The only thing we have to do is just to pause for a moment, raise our head up, and we see the reoccurring and ever-present racism interwoven into the fabric of our society. We do not need to rehash what we have discussed in the past concerning our inability at times to acknowledge white culture or to recognize our inherent privilege. We don't need to discuss how racism is systemic and corporate and not just individual, or how segregation has crept into our Sunday morning community gatherings and even crept into our stereotypes of the image of Jesus, which affects the very core of our faith. If you've been a part of NewCom for any length of time, you would know that central to our understanding of the good news of Jesus is the belief that we are all created in the beautiful image of God and bear the likeness of the divine. So I found myself so saddened and deeply frustrated this week as I saw the nation, national and local authorities, celebrities, and even local newscasters struggle with the conversation and fumble over their words. The dialogue, or in some ways better yet, the shouting match has been agonizing to watch. And then I thought about Newcom. Some of you may have noticed that we did not put out a social media post on this topic or black out our Instagram. I do not feel social media is the appropriate platform for actually getting at the heart of long-term injustice. In fact, it can barely keep you or me from becoming anxious or jealous. Our engagement in it easily drifts from good intentions about giving voice to a problem into a statement for self based on how many likes we get or how woke one might seem to think we are. Personally, I also hesitated to say anything before this Sunday um, due to being bombarded with statements. I don't know if you have received as many statements as I have in my inbox or across uh, communication platforms, but I've received statements from local state and uh, um, local sports organizations, brand names, uh, received a statement from the local public library on their posture in the Black Lives Matter movement. I received a statement from one of my alma maters that in my entire study when I was there, I only vaguely remember one reference ever made to race, and it consisted of something like, well, you know, we all came from Adam and Eve, and suddenly it seems that everyone has a statement to make. And so as staff and elders, we opted to continue to speak to the topic instead of post or make a statement about it. And it, for some of us, it might sound like a broken record, but we can assure you that we will continue to be a broken record. I was looking back on my notes this week, and I was reminded of the continued drum beating for equality that Newcom has promoted. Whether in 2009, when we gave illustration to the importance of racial equality, to the times we took interns for over a decade to listen and learn from our brothers and sisters of color. 
or in 2012 when I gave a pointed talk on racism. I remember at the start of it, I had everyone give a quick show of hands. How many people present in this moment have heard a talk in the church on racism? And with the exception of a hand or two, I then had the privilege of telling them that it looks like this will be the best talk you've ever heard on racism. And that's because the church has remained so silent. Newcomers believe that the church by its silence has been complicit, and it is our duty as one body to give voice to the voiceless. And we will continue to speak to this, whether marching as a community for the past 13 years or directly confronting the issue by inviting others to speak while hosting Gospel for the City and Heart for the City in 2014 or speaking out about inequality and injustice, not just as individual problems, but systemic and corporate problems. We will continue to highlight the need for the gospel to infuse itself into everything until God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anyone considered to be an outsider or marginalized or told they're not one of us belonging to a different group or gender or orientation, a different religion or race, creed or culture, we will do whatever we can to remind everyone that we have all been invited to the banqueting table, that we all have been given an invitation to the family of God in which there is complete equality. And this has to be an ongoing effort of our community. Otherwise, one would have to ask, why does the church even exist if not to wrestle with the ways in which it betters the world? I want to encourage us for a moment on how the gospel might speak into our situation. My intention this morning is to be simple and practical in my approach. And my goal is to allow the presence of God and the reality of the incarnation, this belief that God is with us, to be a guiding light to our actions and the postures we take as a community. And I want to do this through a passage in the scriptures that offers a lens into the subject of race. In John 4, there is this powerful story about Jesus and a woman striking up a conversation at a well. I will read some selected verses to give you some context of the story. The text says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. It's kind of funny that it starts off with uh, one church being jealous, essentially, of another church's improvement or growth. But he says this, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. A woman from Samaria came to drink water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Now, I believe this gospel story speaks into our situation in a few ways that I want to highlight. The first, the gospel story here encourages proximity and presence. The text says that he, being Jesus, left Judah and departed again for Galilee, He and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jesus didn't have to pass through. In fact, the custom was to go around the region. See, the Jews despised the Samaritans and would do everything they could to avoid that section of the country. Now, I don't know if this relates to us in any way. It would be maybe similar to if a group of people at one point fled a city to get out of the urban core, or if people sought to remove themselves from poverty or the need to brush shoulders with those different than themselves. This would be like if we then set up that section of town and called it the projects or something and policed it differently. And then when people moved out, the value of the homes declined. And so those sections of town got less property tax so that they had less resources for schools and public services. And they were resourced differently. And now can you imagine if there was a place like that and then it was filled with people that were deemed less than? See, the text says it was filled with Samaritans, people of differing race. And the story says that he, Jesus, had to pass through, which would be code word for he chose to pass through. And that's part of the incarnation, right? God with us, or the very presence of God. God choosing to come near, to be with us. Robert Weber actually contends that the central problem of popular evangelical Christianity is its failure to comprehend the full implications of the Incarnation. See, the Incarnation is expressed in presence, that God is with us. But it's also expressed in proximity, His nearness, that He's engaged in the very things that we are. That is, the Message Bible says He moves into the neighborhood. See, to live out the gospel requires this proximity and this presence. We must put ourselves in the neighborhood. We must be in the same school systems. We must shop at the same stores. We must move toward people that are different than ourselves rather than waiting for someone to move toward us. We have to make space in our lives for each other. Before we can get any further into the text, we have to see that at the very beginning, it starts with us being present. 
The gospel then encourages powerlessness. The text goes on to say that a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, Jesus in that time and culture was in a position of power when he was at the well alongside a woman. And yet Jesus, who could easily have taken care of the situation by himself, he could have magically made a water fountain, which would have been far ahead of its time. And yet Jesus places himself in a position of need. Jesus needed something from her. He purposefully placed himself in a position of powerlessness because the incarnation, God with us, is also about powerlessness. The action to set aside privilege and positions of power. In Philippians 2, it even speaks to this very idea that Jesus set aside everything and took on the form of a servant, a humble position. And one of the more profound ways to reveal powerlessness is for us to admit the need for being informed. We need to move into places of listening and learning from our brothers and sisters of color. We need to exhibit a desire to listen and to learn. However, instead we often take a position of power or of seeking to reveal that we are truly progressive. In her best-selling book, White Fragility, Author Robin D'Angelino notes that, I believe white progressives cause the most daily damage to people of color. I define a white progressive as any white person who thinks he or she is not racist, or is less racist, or in the choir, or already gets it. White progressives can be the most difficult for people of color because to the degree that we think we have arrived, we will put our energy into making sure that others see us as having arrived. None of our energy will go into what we need to be doing for the rest of our lives, engaging in ongoing self-awareness, continuing education, relationship building, and actual anti-racist practice. Newcom, we must take on a posture of listening and learning. This week, we will have a set of resources available for us midweek to further the process of our awareness and our continued development. Which takes me to the third idea. The gospel recognizes that it's not just about race, but identity. Right at the start of this interaction with Jesus and this woman, we see the subject of race enter into the conversation. The text says, A woman from Samaria came to water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You see it move immediately into the conversation that it shifts to race. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan? Make no mistake, this passage is highly racial. 
It speaks into the race and class divisions, not just of Christ's day, but of our day as well. And Jesus characteristically guides the conversation to a new reality. He says later in the text, the day will come when all people will worship in spirit and in truth. What he's saying is the day will come when everyone will have a new identity found in Christ. He moves the conversation from our place in life or our defining characteristics or our personhood and moves it into a conversation on the gospel identity of a person. See, the gospel changes our identity. When the truth comes into our life, we move into a place where we are seen as just, as loved, as adopted, as children of the King. We become a part of the body of Christ, We who were once far off, the text says, have been brought near. In Ephesians 2, there's this section that says, Therefore remember this, that in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That is the kingdom ideal. The taste of heaven on earth is when we will see the wall of hostility broken down in our community at peace. Shalom. Wholeness goodness, right relations. And so Jesus shifts the conversation to identity. The gospel also reminds us that it is social as well as spiritual. See, in the church, we tend to compartmentalize the social needs from the spiritual needs. We place a higher priority on one over the other. In this passage, Jesus addresses both. He saw her problems, both her spiritual and social problems, as his problem. See, one of the most practical outworkings of this idea is to see the needs of others, to see their problems as our problems. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, We may have come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. But the question is, do you see the problems of other races as your problem? Poor education, dropout rates, unwanted pregnancies, joblessness, violence, abuse, marginalization. These are not just someone else's problems. They are our problems. Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to say this, Any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them, is a spiritually morbid religion awaiting burial. Wow. A spiritually morbid religion awaiting burial. See, the gospel helps us to see that someone else's problem 
is also our problem. Taking it a little further, Miguel A. De La Torre states this, If conversion does not establish justice-based relationships with God and fellow human beings, then salvation hasn't taken place. Boy. Let me say that another way. One cannot be a Christian and remain complicit with social structures that oppress. We must see others' problems as all of our problems. We must have actions that seek human liberation from structures of oppression. Now again, you might say, Russ, it seems a little strong. You're essentially saying that if you're not for this, you might have to question whether God is even present in you. Well, if that seems a little strong, let me say it another way. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3. See, our belief in the gospel should result in the love of our brother or sister in need. To close our heart to the need of another is to put into doubt God's love in us. But some might be saying, but I can absolutely love God, and I do, as John Stott observes. It is obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. And if we fail in the easier task, it is absurd to claim success in the harder. To truly love is our calling. True love opens a place of safety within us in which the other person can be fully and freely themselves. A place where there is no pretending, no need to constantly merit love or to prove anything but a place where a person can fully become what previously they only potentially were. And this love, the scripture says, is mysteriously linked to its transcendental source. Love longs to express itself in action, and that is tethered to the eternal one, to the loving one. We are all living in a time that is producing fear and the culture is in an heightened experience of disorientation. There's a fresh wound to the cultural rift in our country that is exposing once again how fractured and distant and separate we truly are. If there was ever a time to be the church, it is now. May our response be to copy the life of Jesus and to live into the incarnation, to actually practice the presence of God. To be a people that practice proximity and presence, to engage in powerlessness by moving into a posture of listening and learning, to recognize our truly 
God-given identity as image bearers of God, as equal brothers and sisters, and to be about the social as well as the spiritual dimensions of the gospel, and to do that with deep, deep love. My prayer is that these truths may lead to our continual growth as a community, and ultimately to a more just and loving society. I love you, new community. May God bless you this week. I'd love to invite you into a time of reflection. I'm going to read some quotes, some scripture, some ideas. And after each section, I'll pause and ask a few questions. And our hope is that you will spend a little bit of time either journaling, if that's how you like to reflect, or just in silence thinking about these ideas. Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, author and winner of 1986 Nobel Prize for Peace said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And 1 John 3.17-18 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Have I caused pain to others by my posture of indifference? Have my actions or words offended my brother or my sister because I have stayed passive? It is not the responsibility of the marginalized to inform non-marginalized people of history or inform them on their responsibility. Have I done enough to inform myself about the sins of racism, its roots, in both its historical and contemporary manifestations? Have I opened my heart to see how unequal access to economic opportunity, jobs, housing, and education on the basis of skin color, race, or ethnicity has denied and continues to deny the equal dignity of others? Martin Luther King said, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Have I ever witnessed an occasion when someone fell victim to personal, institutional, systematic, or social racism, and I did or said nothing, leaving the victim to address their pain alone? Martin Luther King also said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Have I taken any practical steps that I need to take to fully love my neighbor as myself? What can I do today? And what do I need to do tomorrow and day after day after day? How does this become my lifelong way to live?
So now we leave this time of worship with so much of the road ahead uncertain. The path consistently changing and the ground beneath our feet unsteady. But this we know to be true. We know God is love. We know Christ's truth endures. We know the Holy Spirit is present in the space between all things and closer than our next breath. So we close our time with this Franciscan benediction, which has been a frequent benediction for our community. New community, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen.